Can you imagine the level of a mind that watches wrestling? The audience wants to see action, adventure, wrestling, and plenty of it. Big men in tights, you know the drill. Rammer Slammer. Welcome to Rammer Slammer. I'm Ben Flanagan, and welcome to a new episode. And I'm going to make this quick. We're about to be joined by our good friend Ben Stark from up in Huntsville, and we're going to talk about WWE, the current product, and what we think about it, specifically who we think its best performers are. More specifically, we talk about our favorite three performers, or really who we think the company's best three overall performers are right now. We each have a bit of a different list with a little bit of crossover. Before we do that, we talk about just sort of what we like and what we don't like. More specifically, what Ben doesn't really like about it because he hasn't really watched a lot of WWE lately, and that's by choice. He hasn't really enjoyed the product as of late. So we talk a lot about Jinder Mahal's title run, sort of what's going on in each of the brands, and just sort of like another state of things in WWE. So let's get right to it. Here's my talk with Ben Stark. This is Ben Flanagan, and I am joined by Ben Stark. Ben, it's been a while. Yeah. Thanks for having me. What's up? Not much. You know, it's summertime, which means that uh, WWE is in a holding pattern. Uh, but hopefully things are going to be heating up here pretty soon. And so uh, I think it's about time to tune back in. Yeah, so I hear that you hate WWE now, or, or that you just you don't watch it as much as you used to. I don't know. Like I, I'm kind of, Before we really get started here, and we're here to talk about who we think are the best performers in WWE right now. We're going to narrow it down to the top three. I'm a little scared that we're going to have the same exact top three, but that's okay, and, and that might be part of the problem or, or – Whatever, we'll we'll talk about it in a minute. But before we do that, tell me what your deal is with WWE in terms of why you've kind of shied away from paying as much attention to it as you have as you know in recent months. Um, well, there for a little while, I was on a pretty good streak of of checking out every episode of SmackDown that happened uh, last fall. It was a really great run for that show. Uh, the storylines were nice and simple and straightforward, and the matches were were pretty good across the board. <clears throat> uh, and then, as uh, WrestleMania got closer and closer, uh, things started getting messy. And then they had a big shakeup. And then WrestleMania itself kind of proved to be this weird mishmash of things. And I realized that you know this is this is just a not a narrative. Uh, focused company. Every now and then, um, it seems like when every when when there's an when there's a little corner of this massive conglomerate company that isn't that gets left alone, somebody there is able to put together some really good ongoing storylines and uh, that lead to good matches that matter. But then uh, everything gets shaken up and everything has to get um, meddled with, and then it becomes this thing where they're going for moments instead of long-term narratives and they sacrifice things and they make up new titles and they nothing matters that's basically always what it comes down to it's like they they act like it matters for a little bit and then everything stops mattering and then they they just make weird decisions and name pay-per-views great balls of fire and it's just it's just exhausting and it's not Enjoyable. I find myself nitpicking it more than I do enjoying it. So why would I spend time on it? You know, if 
why watch something that I don't enjoy? And uh, you know, as as but that doesn't mean I'm not uh, as usual. I'm going to take it there. That doesn't mean I'm not enjoying wrestling. Uh, New Japan is 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 uh, pretty satisfying on on that front. So um, they're having a great year over there. Um, so, but that that said, I have tried to tune in for a lot of the major moments, and, and there have been some some really good matches uh, here recently. Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting you said nothing matters, particularly the belts, and, and even more specifically the WWE world title, the the main belt, the one that's always historically, it, it has the most, I guess, uh, weight in, in terms of the history of the company, and it's currently held by Jinder Mahal, and I know that there's a, a lot of people out there who feel very strongly that that's, that's it's a bad moment for the title right now. I, I tend to disagree because I just think that I think Jinder's been really good. I, I, I don't know necessarily that it was the right time for him to be the world champion, and I think yeah. in some ways that makes SmackDown, the brand at least, look a little weak considering who's little, on the roster. Uh, but, but that being said, though, I think Jinder's done a good job. Like get, get, The opportunity he's been given – I think he has taken advantage of it, and he's come out looking really good, and 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 so I think that he's had a he's had a solid run. I don't know what that means for the greater WWE. I don't know what that means for his his main opponent Randy Orton right now, and maybe because you know I, I'm not a big fan of Randy Orton, and I know that you know his his popularity has waned for a lot of hardcore fans. I think that maybe by rule. Uh, Randy Orton's involvement in a feud with Jinder kind of makes Jinder look better automatically in, in a feud like that, just because Jinder's new and is, is he's polarizing. And so the fact that he's getting a reaction one way or the other means that it's a good thing for WWE. I, that's in my opinion. And I think that has been the case for a lot of superstars in the past. You could say the same thing about Roman Reigns to a, a much more extreme Extent, except that except that ratings are plummeting and nobody's talking about it and nobody it, it's not interesting. They're doing things that's they're doing things that are making people angry and making people tune out, not making people get uh, you know uh, you know they're not it's not legit heel heat or whatever you want to call it. It's just annoying because they're they think that they can make stars out of nothing overnight because they want to appeal to an Indian market or some brand or some whatever marketing thing. They don't care about wrestling or narratives. They just no, want to sell their blue brand or whatever and get into synergy markets. and. Blah. So that that's all true for sure, but I, it, this is my opinion, my perspective, that to me doesn't take away from the good job and the good storytelling that Jinder Mahal has done. I think he again, look. I think he's look, been we, solid. We have this conversation all the time. The talent is, and that's I mean that's the point of today's conversation. The talent is never the problem, ever. You know, like they have such a great roster, and yeah, I have no issue with Jinder Mahal. I mean, I haven't seen much of his work really. I know that he's had probably the worst match that Cesaro has ever had, which is noteworthy. Um, but you know, I mean, on paper, it seems like he's he's doing a, a decent job, and but it's just this again. It's, it's uh, am I? I have no issue with Roman Reigns as, as a person or performer. It's it's not it's not it's never the talent, you know. It's you have this great roster. I mean, WWE has never had a terrible roster. Um, you know, it's 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 hard to find bad pro wrestlers these days. Um, so it's not the talent's problem ever. So nothing I should say should ever reflect negatively on well, talent. 
No, but see, I think you get lost in the weeds there in terms of getting getting a, a little too uh, frustrated with like you like all the stuff you were just talking about, all of like the corporate minded decision making that that is going into what we're getting in terms of the in ring product. Instead of okay, well now that this is the in ring product, let's judge it for what it is. Is it good? And in Gender's case, I think it happens to be good, but I, I, I am sort of stuck on the, the issue that this shouldn't be your A storyline. Like, and what, what's also strange is gender's the champion, and if their whole if this whole thing is designed to appeal to a foreign market, particularly in India, he's working on this like working with this classic evil bad guy, evil foreigner sort of trope. Yeah, the only that dichotomy WWE, that the WWE can present a foreign person in. Right. So the, the that's just strange to me that if they're trying to appeal to that market, they're doing it by, by trying to make gender look as bad as possible. Yeah, because the they're guys, dumb and bad at their job. Right, but the, the, only thing, the only thing I could think that it, it reminds me of, like where it's like, okay, it worked in their favor just in that that they had some – I, I, okay, I go back to Bret Hart during the whole, like, Canadian uh, – Canada versus America storyline where you had this – and the, the only difference is Bret Hart was already an established legend at that point in the company, and everybody sort of already loved him. But they they were able to turn their fans against somebody who had been beloved for decades in the company and, and make him their top bad guy. And and that only faintly this only faintly reminds me of that. But he was, was not a hero in Canada. Was brand, he was a fresh face basically that they turned into the champion overnight. So. That is why I think it's strange. But again, it's, but but but, they, but in that in the Bret Hart case, they were they were capable of such a such narrative complexity that they were able to write him as a hero in Canada. Right. But so, but I imagine that they can't do that now. They're not going to do. See, that's the thing. Though. It's like that's my that's why I'm scratching my head. It's like if if and because when they go India, at what, job. Is his, I mean, you what is his up. reception going to be? You know, like are they? Is he going to be hailed as a hero because of like? Well, he, guess what? It's going to be hard not, to do that. Because, like, if, if you look at Bret Hart in terms of – the writing might be similar because, I mean, if you look at it, – it's kind of like typical bad guy storytelling where it's like they they are – I was reading a Twitter thread by all of these, like, great screenwriters recently where they were talking about, like, the definition of an antagonist and, and how yeah. an antagonist yeah. serves, serves the purpose in the story. And, and somebody was saying, like, an antagonist is designed to basically be the foil to the hero, but – Everything else works against the antagonist outside of uh, you know what he's doing with it. Basically, like you're, it's all designed. You're supposed to sort of see it from the antagonist perspective, where everything that he's doing makes sense to him or her, right? And yes. and maybe that was true for Bret Hart. Maybe if you like look at it from his perspective, it makes sense if you're Bret Hart and if you're somebody who's inclined to support a character like that. I, maybe that's true for gender too, but I think he's been pretty stereotypically evil. Yeah, because again, because they they don't they they're not they want the payoff of a good narrative, but they're not willing to put in the work of, of crafting a good narrative. And I mean, backing up, you talked about you know is the bell the bell stuff quality. And look, there, there's some really talented guys there, but if I'm just going to go out and watch uh, the best wrestling matches I can, completely devoid of narrative outside of that context, you know, out-of-context wrestling matches that are just great quality. There's, like, you know, however many years, decades of great stuff that I could watch, go watch for the first time. 
instead of tuning into a SmackDown or Raw episode. So the only reason that those matches usually are, are good is if there's a greater narrative that, that's crafting them and that's playing into them. And even, even I don't speak Japanese, but the New Japan storylines uh, grab me and I understand them and the, the matches are great because they play into this greater context. But they're not, in WWE, they're not willing to do that. They're, they, they, they just kind of, they just do the thing that they, that they would have done in 1988 and hope that everything works out. Um, and they don't put in the work of, of crafting, you know, complex, intelligent narratives, which they're capable of doing. I mean, you mentioned 1997. What a, what a great year for um, storytelling in ring and out. Um, but yeah, there, this, uh, this whole Jinder Mahal thing is the same thing. It's just they 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 want to make a splash in India, so they're making a star, but they don't know how to make a, a foreign star, you know, get a reaction from the crowd unless he makes fun of America. And it's just like, what? The, it's 2017, you know, like you, how how what? Uh, it's just there's no critical thinking, and they're serving 19 different masters. Uh, and it's frustrating. Yeah, you're and right. And it's frustrating it, because it's 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 impossible to separate that from, again, like, I wish I could just, like, enjoy it. But it's like, you know, I mean, it, <laughs> not to bring politics into it, but it's hard for me to, it's you know, people tell me, well, just calm down and respect the president. Okay, but guess what? It's hard for me to to separate how I think about the president if he may be a traitor and in in you know if he may be defying the constitution with every moment that he's in office you know so it's the same kind of thing for me it's like no i can't i can't separate my my mind from uh from what i'm watching yeah i think i think you make good points and you're right in in Jinder's case i think that there it, there are some some slightly more refined strokes i think it's mostly broad but i i do think some of the stuff he says during his promos is interesting because, you know, you're right. He comes out, he he makes his case for how great he is, and then when he hears the USA chant, he t- tries to turn it on the 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 American audience, right, and saying that, I you know, I look different, I sound different. This is why you cheer against me. This is why this is why I hate you. This is this is why I'm the bad guy uh, because I'm different in the eyes of of bloodthirsty Americans, you know, and I think that there's potential there in terms of sort of like turning it on the audience and trying to understand a foreigner from that perspective, but it won't go any further than that. Like that's just the history of WWE. Like history is not on the side of exploring a storyline like that in in greater depth, even though I I do think the Canadian thing was really interesting. And and like you said, there, there was a lot of complexity there in that they had to deconstruct one of their all-time, like one of the all-time heroes in the history of the business, let alone WWE, and I'm guessing that you know confused fans in terms of wait now you know in terms are nothing new to the industry and it certainly worked by 1997, but I think the way in which they were doing it at that point was definitely different and slightly revolutionary even for WWE. So that's what made that great, and I don't think that's something that it's apples and oranges, but I think that there are similarities, but I don't think that that's anything that they can reach with the Jinder Mahal storyline. But I do, look, it speaks to the larger problem, and I, I think that you made a funny point the other night, uh, sort of in, in passing, where you, you text, we were talking about this new Netflix series, Glow, which is obviously really, really super popular right now. 
I've seen the whole thing, and I think people should should watch it. It's great. I can recommend it. But you made the the comment that you you watched very little of it, but you said two episodes. Yeah, yeah. That you think that Glow understands sort of the good guy bad guy concept and dynamic better than WWE currently does. Totally. And, and, and you totally. maybe that was a joke, but maybe you were making a point. No. What exactly. What you mean by that? Well, it's because uh, not to spoil the series, but just from the first kind of two episodes, um, the the arc is kind of that our lead character is discovering. It's a little bit like Breaking Bad uh, in that the the lead character who's would be, you know, typically our hero or perspective is finding out that she's the heel, that she's the natural heel, and she thinks that she's standing on the the side of of uh, you know, good art and, and, and acting and, and pure um, performance. Uh, and she's finding out that, no, she's actually, she plays the victim. She takes advantage of other people because she pities herself. And she's a heel. And she and this director of the, uh, uh, of the, the, the booker uh, is, is kind of pulling that out of her naturally, uh, too much to her chagrin. And uh, I think that's fascinating. And it's the best thing about the show so far. And it's, um, it's something that, yeah, it's it like you said earlier, the the whole Chris McQuarrie Twitter conversation about um, uh, about the nature of an antagonist is that you know it's it's the great heels in, in in wrestling are the people that have strong motivations and have clear motivations, and then you get WWE and they are pushing Roman Reigns as this top babyface that has you know, that does heroic things and gets beat up and comes back and, and, and fights for, for toughness and all this other stuff. But then he gets booed and then people defend it and say, well, he's actually the biggest heel because he gets booed. It's like, no, what? No, you're complicating this. You're there. There's it's you, no, like <laughs> the, the, there's a binary nature to storytelling, to narrative storytelling uh, especially when you're dealing with broad strokes, which is what pro wrestling deals with, at least in, on the basics. I mean, you can you can you know you can go from there if you're Bret Hart, but Roman Reigns isn't Bret Hart, and whoever's writing this stuff isn't. Oh, God help me, Vince Russo or whoever was writing the stuff in 1997. So yeah, there's just a um, there's just a uh, an understanding of this person is taking shortcuts. And that person refuses to. So let's cheer for that one person, not the other. Um, and organically responding to the world around them. You know, I mean, if if the if the, the TV series Glow, you know, if if Vince McMahon played the Mark Maron part in Glow, he would just keep telling the Allison Brie character to act like a good guy, even though everybody there is organically turning against her. You know. But no, he's willing to see. Okay, no, there's some actual um, natural organic dynamics based on the people in the room and the people watching that we need to use to define this character. And I think that's the fluidity of characters. One of the most interesting things about pro wrestling, you know, is that you can in Die Hard you can't you can't watch half and then slowly realize that Hans Gruber actually is is you know, maybe the hero of the story, so let's shift that way. But pro wrestling, you can do that all the time. Again, 1997, Stone Cold Steve Austin went from being the biggest bastard in the company to being the biggest hero in pro wrestling history. So, yeah, it's one of those things where you, you use the 
the advantages of the medium to tell your stories instead of, you know, taking your story and walloping everybody over the head with it um, with zero grace or, or zero uh, dexterity. So, yeah, that's – to keep it brief, those are my thoughts. Yeah, I, I think that it's it, – you can't have it both ways when it comes to sort of like adding that meta level of appreciation for the, the contrast of character where it's like the, the audience is cheering for the bad guy. That works. Whereas, like, if they're booing the good guy, that does not work, and that's not good. Like, the Austin thing worked in their favor. The Rock thing worked in their favor. Even Chris Jericho last year, that worked in yeah. their favor. Everybody loved cheering for that, and they, and they used it to their advantage. But the Roman Reigns thing is obviously a problem, and, and I, I don't like it when people, like you said, they use they sort of, like, force that narrative and that, well, if he's getting booed, then he must be the, the, the bad guy that everybody everybody looks at him that way now. But it's like... That's not the design, and you can't really go with it as as naturally as you can with Austin and, and Rock and Jericho in, in terms of uh, the way that works. It's just a different vibe and feel. So, no, I agree. You know, it's, it's funny. You make great points about GLOW and, and what WWE could maybe learn from it. I don't even know if WWE is acknowledging GLOW at this point. You know, they have this, uh, this, this – have you, have you heard whether – has anybody tweeted about it? I, I haven't seen it mentioned so, the show. I haven't seen anything um, um, like like um, official, but clearly they you know they licensed some Hulk Hogan footage and, and, and old WWF and NWA footage for for it a little bit because it shows right. up in the show. But also the opening credits they like rotoscope wrestling moves with like this '80s neon kind of art. And uh, I saw on Reddit or Twitter or somewhere like that that one of the animations for the opening credits is actually Bailey giving somebody a suplex from NXT. It's like you know, they have like a side by side and it's like you see the ref in the background and the same huh. angle and everything. So they definitely at least use the footage for reference. So I think I think they're friendly just in terms of licensing footage probably, but I don't think it's like full on endorsement or anything like that. Well, what I can tell. It's probably coincidence, but maybe it isn't because I mean there's there's the the, the the word itself is is so prominent in terms of like wrestling history and in its place. But you have someone like Naomi Whose, whose catchphrase is feel the glow, and I don't know if that's a reference to Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling or if it's just, you know, a, a, a thing that, that happens to serve her entrance, like her, her very, like, fancy black light entrance that, that she does. So I, I have no idea, but, you know, I think it would be great. Like, it, it would be awesome if, if, like, Charlotte and Becky Lynch and, and these, these great female wrestlers that they have on their roster right now in the midst of the, the emerging popularity of uh, a show like this, it would be great if they could acknowledge it in, in, in terms of like being able to share that and hopefully, you know, or, or, or even cross over in, in some way in an official capacity. I'm sure that there would be some sort of like mutual benefit for the two, but it'd be, a sh- it's just a shame to me that it isn't happening. That, that I, well, it's at least that I think. Because my wife um, has always been like kind of weirded out by women's wrestling. Um, she's, I mean, part of it is the attire, you know, and, and, you know, the legacy of WWE women wrestling is, is, is unfortunate and, and exploitative. So some of that stuff just kind of bothers her. Um, but she was the one that wanted to watch glow and I think watching it and I think it's actually helping her to see, you know, what the appeal is here and, and what the, what the art is all about. Um, so yeah, I think that it's, I think that they would be very wise to capitalize on, 
I mean, hell, I would I would pay whatever you need to pay to put a little promo for, you know, the women's division or whatever at the end of Netflix's episode to glow. I mean, obviously they don't do advertising, but do something like that where you're like, hey, you know, this is still around and it's really cool and it's fun and you should check it out. And WWE Network is nine ninety nine, you know, or something. Or check out our YouTube page. I feel like that. Yeah, that would be totally wise. But I, I don't know if. if yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Hey, do you remember Ivory? Like no. The women's wrestler from like the late 90s. She nope. was in the right to censor. She fought China for the women's championship at like WrestleMania 17, I believe. Uh, anyway, she was a glow cast off. So she, oh. she got her start in glow and then she went on to be a pretty respected wrestler in one of the few like, you know, non, um, supermodel kind of actually talented wrestlers in the late 90s, early 2000s at WWS. So, little well, note there. Yeah, and we should also note that the Glow documentary from a few years ago is yes. also available on Netflix, too. And I believe that there's well, an Alabama connection to that, too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, Brett Wickham um, and Brad Thompson of Birmingham actually directed that. They're fantastic uh, documentary filmmakers of um, uh, I've met them at Sidewalk a few times, and um, yeah, they, everybody should go check out that show. I'm, I I honestly consider it a little bit of a boycott because I feel like their doc should be getting a little bit more press from Netflix, based on you know I, it's got to be uh, the big the big inspiration for the show. But um, you know whatever, I'll do my best to champion both uh, because uh, yeah, it's it's uh, uh yeah they're they're. Really, really wonderful filmmakers and some of the best in Alabama. Yeah, and Glow, the show is really good. I, I, I've seen the whole thing. I watched it in two days. I loved it as a wrestling fan, as a, as a just general entertainment fan. It's really well made. The ensemble is fantastic. And, yeah, you're right. They, they seem to understand the business at a very basic level in terms of communicating that to an audience that may or may not like wrestling. So, And, and it's, like just, it's, it's, it's all about understanding that appeal that it has in terms of the, the very basic type of storytelling that it does and how it, it appeals to our most basic instincts, you know? And, and so that, that's what's really interesting about it and what it obviously understands. And you're right, what WWE could maybe even learn from it. Maybe they just need to recharge their batteries and, and try to understand again, like, what, what it is people respond to because it's pretty, it seems pretty easy. So yeah, quick, yep. I, I think this is going to be quick. To be honest with you, in terms of, of understanding or, or naming the the best that WWE has to offer right now, and, and we're going to go top three. Who who are the best? Like who are the MVPs of WWE? Who who are the best in ring performers? Best on the mic? Just best overall talent that the company has right now. And and th- I think we're going to have the same list. Perhaps there, you know there might be one difference here and there. But I think we should just name our three at a time right now instead of counting it down. So I'm going to give it to you. Who do you think are the three best performers in WWE right now? I mean, Jinder Mahal is uh, – no, just kidding. Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of came at it from a few different angles and, like, thinking about potential, uh, you know, who has the biggest potential. But at the end of the day, I feel like i got to just go with the three that I feel like are the biggest – the most well-rounded guys that I think they could make the most money off of, you know, in terms of putting them in the ring with other people, building stories around them, and then paying it off with a big money 
match that everybody wants to see, including people that don't usually watch wrestling. Um, and so kind of in that order, I feel like it's my number three is Braun Strowman. My number two is Brock Lesnar. And my number one is AJ Styles. I feel like those three guys have so much upside um, and uh, kind of are at a really good spot and uh, in, in a good window uh, of opportunity to take advantage of each of them, especially AJ Styles, who only has, I mean, you know, who knows how many years he has left, but he is in his 40s, uh, and he is a very physical uh, wrestler. So I, I feel like he, he's on a on a ticking clock. So I would say, you know, that he's the guy that you need to build big money matches with ASAP. Um, Brock Lesnar all obviously is, I had a little bit of trouble putting him on here just because he is, you know, he can kind of sandbag it if, if he wants to. But I think his performance in the Goldberg match at WrestleMania and his performance here recently with Samojo shows that if you just give him the right material, he he's going to make it. He's going to make it soar. Um, if we had a top four or five, Samojo would definitely be on the list because I think his work with Brock recently has been amazing. Uh, and then Braun Strowman is just he's I think he's a once in a lifetime talent. I was really down on him a few years ago when he first showed up, but I think since he got the mic, since he's kind of, his motivation is so clear, you know, he just wants to beat people up and, and be the best. Um, and I, I think that's the, that's the kind of common denominator between all three of these guys, is that they just convinced me that they want to be on top. They want to be the best, and guess what? They can bring it when they want, whether it's through incredible feats of athleticism or, you know, in, in, in um, good improv, uh, in, improvising moves in the ring with AJ Styles or just pure power with Lesnar and, and Strowman. Um, those, those three, I feel like, you know, if, if you could build, you could build the top of your card around those guys, you'd be in a good spot. Interesting list. Our, our lists are not the same. And, and good. I, I, I hear what you're saying about two of those guys. We have one guy on, on each of our lists and that's AJ Styles. Who who is probably the best in ring performer on the roster? I, I think that's pretty safe to say at this point. Yep. And and I obviously had reservations in terms of his mic work. Like when he first started out, I was not familiar with what he had done with New Japan, what he had done with with TNA or, or whatever. I just hadn't I had never seen him work before. And, and so early on, I thought, well, he's great in the ring, obviously, but he needs to work on the mic. And that was me just being ignorant because, I mean, when he when he got going in his feuds with John Cena, especially, and, and really since then, he has been absolutely fantastic on the mic. Like, he, he's just been great, period, since he's arrived in WWE. He gets great matches out of everybody, including Shane McMahon. They put on a great match. At WrestleMania, so like whatever AJ Styles is doing, it's probably good, and and he is probably like you said their best commodity. I don't know that he's necessarily their biggest money draw. That might be brought no. still, uh, but but yeah, AJ's the man. Like he he's just current. He's just the MVP right now, and he's he's one of those top three best performers. I you know I think the Bra- the Braun Strowman points are, are all totally valid. I think he's still so limited in the ring, and, and you know he still can do what he can do. But look, I mean, Hulk Hogan was limited in the ring. Ultimate Warrior, they were limited in the ring. Andre yep. the Giant, same thing. I mean, like, the list goes on in terms of like iconic wrestlers who were limited in the ring. If you like, we're not looking for every type of wrestler to be AJ Styles or to be 
Mr. Perfect oh. or to be whoever. Like they're there to serve a specific purpose, and if they're great at it, you've got to you've got to squeeze that for what it's worth. And and I think they've certainly done that with Braun Strowman. Braun Strowman certainly he sort of like is and isn't helping them with the Roman Reigns problem right now because everybody yeah. loves the fact that Braun Strowman is just destroying Roman Reigns at every turn, and he gets insane cheers for it. So it's not helping that problem necessarily, and I'm not sure where they're going to go from here, though I can't wait for their great balls of fire ambulance match, whatever the hell that's going to be. But what's interesting about Braun, too, is I, I think the two biggest people who have benefited from the brand split have started together in terms of, like, once the brand split launched, and it was Braun Strowman and James Ellsworth. Who both of whom I think are great for the company right now and have done some of the best work since the brand split happened. And, and Braun, obviously, for, for the reasons that you laid out there. But ever since then, ever since they sort of like reintroduced the concept of jobbers, and, and he was obviously the perfect guy to, to reintroduce that with, he's just been on fire. And everybody has loved this version of Braun Strowman. And really what won me over with him other than that was his appearance on the Stone Cold Steve Austin podcast where he sort of got to yep. know his personality a little bit and, like, what his intentions are and what he wants out of this and how he's ready to learn. And he, he, he just wants – he's learning as he goes, but he just wants to get better and better. And that's what he's done. He's just gotten better and better and better. So I see the value in Braun Strowman. I don't know that he's necessarily one of the top three guys in the company just on an overall basis. I do see the appeal. He, he, he will be a money match guy for sure. Maybe he is that right now but I think he's got a little bit of a ways to go in terms of being just a complete performer in WWE. And you're right about Brock Lesnar, dude. He's, he, he's still the money guy. His matches are all still very special. Whenever the guy just, like, enters the building, it's it's usually going to be a special moment. He's electrifying. And like you said, if you give him the right material, like they did with Goldberg and like they have with Samoa Joe, it's going to be good. Like, he, he's going to sell his ass off if he believes in the story and if he believes and whoever he's working with. So I, I think Brock's great, and he, he would be in my top five if I were making a top five. So you make great picks. I like them all. My two guys. I mean, the the only thing I'll say that kind of ties all those three guys together, and again, Samoa Joe is in there too, is I just buy it. And honestly, the Usos are kind of on there too right now. Yeah. I just between their, their attitude and, the, and what they do in the ring, even if it's not great, you know, flare steamboat level work, I buy it. And that's. Yeah. I think that's storytelling. A, it's a premium right now. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, so my, my other two guys are Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins. Just if we're talking strictly from – if we're just talking about in-ring on top of charisma, on top of mic work, they're just like what you want in pro wrestling right now. To me, in the modern era, guys who are fantastic in-ring performers but have a lot of personality – Kevin Owens is one of the best bad guys I've seen in a long time. Seth Rollins was one of the best bad guys. I'd, like, I, I was talking to you via text about this recently. Like, Seth Rollins' championship run was amazing. Like, I've gone back and watched a lot of the pay-per-views and, and obviously the package, the, the, the pre-match packages that, that show, like, the raw work he did. And, and just, like, the guy carried the company for several months. After after he won it at, at one of the best moments ever at WrestleMania 31, like the guy, the guy's just he's electrifying. The bad guy character that they had with with him in terms of what they started with Triple H and, and this whole like you know this whole like architect thing, and I, I just I bought that like that was just like classic work to me. And Rollins was just good at every turn. 
and, and Owens has been the same. Like, the guy is just obviously obsessed with pro wrestling, and, and he, he's amazing on the mic. He's great at working the crowd. He, he's great at sort of, like, belittling whatever good guy opponent he has or bad guy opponent he has. He says all the right things and does all the right things. That carries over into, into his social media presence. I just – I love everything that I get from him. Now, I think, like, where our list sort of contrast is – you, you, yours are more of like the guys who have like the actual appeal. They're able to sell tickets. They're they're what's working for WWE right now in terms of perhaps what WWE wants to do and 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 how they can tell stories as best they can with the, with what they have. Those are the best guys to do it. And, and you're right. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think my list is more just like okay, like no matter what they do, these are just like athletically and, and sort of intangibly the best talent, the best like raw talent that they have. So, I mean, would you agree with that? Uh, yeah. I mean, no ceiling, you know, if, 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 you know, yeah, it, just delivering. If you had to throw three guys in the ring to get the best possible match. Um, yeah. AJ, um, Seth and, um, yeah, Owens or Sami Zayn or Neville. It's that's that's hard. You know, that's in terms of yeah. like I mean, I think Neville is is super underrated and uh, underrepresented even though I think he's the champion right now maybe or something like that or was. Um but yeah, and uh, John Cena is on that list too, you know. And, and Brock, I mean Brock in his in his original run, you know, cranked out classics every, you know, every few months. So it's really hard to gauge that, you know, it's really hard to gauge which guys are going to deliver, uh, have the potential to deliver the best in the ring because sometimes they don't get the spotlight to show me if they've got it or not. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, again, like, I don't know. I just feel like Seth Rollins. Ah, uh, yeah. There, there's something that happened after, after that comeback, <clears throat> after the injury, when uh, they forced the, 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 the heel, thing or some, something has been lacking for him and I feel like the audience is, is responding in kind you know it's like I don't know like he's one of those guys where it doesn't always work you know and if it's not working it's really not working and he's just kind of been in this weird holding pattern um, for a long time um, but but then you see a, a guy like I don't know a guy like uh, a Brock Lesnar or, or even Strowman or, um, or AJ even when they're in bad material there's still something there there's still something simmering there's still something uh there's a spark there charisma that i feel like will draw a viewer in and i feel like rollins is unfortunately man it really hurts me to say this because i used to be like the world's biggest seth rollins fan i feel like there's something about his ring presence or screen presence that has fizzled uh and that's that's way disappointing um but well that's yeah but it's it's got to be just a result of being, becoming a good guy, right? I mean, even to be honest with you, though, I, I think that the, the the work he did with Finn Balor was some of the worst stuff he's done since he's been yeah. in the company, and he was a bad guy Real at bad. that point, and yeah. it didn't work. Well, that and was that, after the comeback, though. Yeah, and it's like they don't know what to do. Bad guy. Well, here's the thing: is if you've got a guy that comes back and he's pissed that he he didn't get, you know, that he got. Um, screwed over and then he wants to burn down the building and turn the show upside down. You don't expect him to say that and then not deliver on it and then expect him to get cheered. 
he teased out that whole burn down this place thing for four or five or six months until he got that Triple H match at WrestleMania. And it's just, it's just BS, you know? It's just like we all see through your, it's just talk, you know? You're not actually going to do anything because we have a global brand strategy marketing brand extension brand that can't be turned upside down. But in 1998, you had Stone Cold Steve Austin threaten to do stuff that he delivered on that day and took over the show and knocked stuff over and broke stuff because they could lay the whole company down at the feet of their good guy, their big hero. But now they've got seven billion things that they're trying to do, so they can't really sacrifice any of that for this destructive, this guy that really does need to be this this force of destruction that needs revenge against the bad guys that screwed him over while he was hurt. So, yeah, it's just, yeah, when, when you, the audience is smart. You know, if you keep telling them you're going to do something and then you don't do it, they're going to, you're crying wolf and they're going to ignore you. And then you're going to have this flat hero run where eventually you get stuck with Bray Wyatt. And then you eventually, I don't know, he'll probably be in a tag team with Finn Balor on 205 Live by uh, June of next year. All valid points. Great points. I'm keeping Rollins there just because I believe in him. And and after his championship run, he, he, to me, was a superstar during that. And, I was so, I was devastated when he got injured and and we lost him for for as long as we did and I think it really devastated WWE to a large extent which is a big reason why they had to just pull from the NXT uh, uh, pull to to a fault in in my opinion um, and he's been great and he's to me at almost nearly as good as AJ Styles is in ring he's like on that level to me and he just has so much potential. And they just got it. They got to get it back. They do. And if it means turning him, then turn him because he was obviously a better bad guy. But whatever. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, there's still guys like Shinsuke Nakamura. There's Finn Balor. There's there's a, a great handful of people that we didn't include here for, for maybe obvious reasons. And I think that we have pretty solid lists. But is there anybody else before we go? Because we got to cut this uh, off pretty soon. Is there anybody else that, like, you wish was on your list? Yeah, I mean, in terms of potential, I feel like American Alpha, uh, Luke Harper, um, Neville, who needs a name change? I think that's that's probably his biggest limitation right now. Um, those guys, I, I really, Luke Harper, I feel like, is, is a guy that, you know, if they put a little bit of elbow grease into that guy, he would be huge. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of his style, his look, his, his, his even his mic work, I think, is really good. And I think he's... He's really upped his game recently. I think they're totally dropping the ball on American Alpha. I feel like both those guys should be superstars at a certain point, and I think that especially Jason Jordan, I don't know, I feel like he has an intangible quality that could potentially make him a possibly a John Cena-level star. Um, uh, yeah, the Usos, I think, are on fire right now. I think Big E, if, if broken into a singles uh, push, not not as a turn, or anything like that, but just with the support of, of the other guys, I think could be a big deal. Um, Baron Corbin, I think, has been a really good, slow, steady climb. I don't think he's anything great in the ring, but I feel like he's got everything else, um, and he's just got a really good swagger and presence. Um, I'm trying to think. You mentioned Kevin Owens, obviously. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's uh, the roster is fantastic right now. Um, Nakamura, yes. Oh, uh, uh, the revival, I think, has been greatly underserved. Um, but I think they have. I think that between the Usos and American Alpha and the revival 
and then you know toss together a few main eventers in a tag team. I feel like man, they could they could if they put a little bit of work into it, they could be headlining TV shows with world tag title matches, you know, and do it like Road Warrior style, like it used to be in the '80s, where the tag titles were a main event attraction. But that's uh, yeah, not gonna happen. Yeah. Okay. Uh, put put Neville in the ring with Finn Balor and give them a feud like that. I think that might be what helps sell me on Finn Balor because I think Neville's amazing. I, I like I, he is so good in the ring and he has been so good as this bad guy champion in the cruiserweight division. I honestly think sticking him in the cruiserweight division, it, I think it helped him in ways, but I think it also kind of does him a disservice just because of how talented he yeah. is. But maybe that's the only thing he can do. But all right, well, let's cut it off there. I think we've I think we've made our points, and and you know it's it's I don't want to say depressing because of like how much talent they have and how it's not being utilized in perhaps the way that it should. But there's still a long, we're still a long way to go. There's so much young talent on the roster that hopefully they'll figure out what to do with them. And I think that there are a lot of good things that they're doing. Um, and you know, look, I mean, the the guys that were the fact that it was a fairly hard list to make, I think, is a good sign. So. I think they're in a good place. It's just like you said, going back to the, the the discussion just about like the narrative philosophy. They just gotta they just gotta course correct and they gotta refigure that out and sort of recalibrate the storytellers so that they can give this amazing roster uh, richer material. So I guess sorry, that's where we real stand. quick, real quick, guys, we're both uh, pretty big dummies for not mentioning any of the ladies, but Charlotte. I mean, Charlotte, yeah. I think is head. I mean, if I if I mean, if she would be in my top five. Um, I think she is kind of like the Brock Lesnar of the women's roster in terms of like head and shoulders above everybody else in terms of upside or Brock Lesnar, AJ Styles kind of territory where it's like when I see her in these money in the bank things with all the other ladies, it's like, what is she doing there? You know, it just seems like she's just literally a queen, uh, you know, among yeah. uh, peasants and it's just like. Yeah, nobody else measures up to her. She's great. She's she's like really really great. I love like she's a big reason I tune in. Like she's really good in the ring. She's the total package. But I think in the women's division though, I think Alexa Bliss was great on SmackDown. I haven't loved the Raw. Ain't the I think the Bailey feud was a big whiff, unfortunately. Yeah. But she was great on SmackDown. And then also in in uh, the SmackDown division, I think Carmella and James Ellsworth have really. She's caught me off guard big time. She had a great promo on SmackDown last night, but I think Ellsworth has been really, really good. I know you're not as high on him, but I think they've really kind of found a, a, a diamond in the rough. He's a great bad guy manager. He, he just, he, all the beats are right. He, he, he's, he's a great decision maker in terms of his improvisational skill. And he's done a lot of really great work with Daniel Bryan, which is, it's great to see them give Daniel Bryan something to do, especially through this women's division narrative, which I think has been really good, especially with the money in the bank thing. So I think there's a lot of good stuff going on with the women's division. Agreed. All right, man. Well, thanks for talking this out with me. And, uh, Hopefully we'll be able to do it again soon and it won't be as long. Yeah, Rammer Slammer returns. Rammer Slammer is produced and edited by Ben Flanagan for the Alabama Media Group and AL.com. Find us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Rammer Slammer. Thanks for listening. <laughs>